This is Cockpits and Cocktails. We use this podcast to share stories and talk about all things aviation and aerospace. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Cheers to you and enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Cockpits and Cocktails. I am one of your hosts, Natalie Flygirl Kelly. Hopefully, Fly Alyssa will get to join us. I know she was traveling home today, and we're hoping that she will hop on this call. But we're going to go ahead and get started. We have a really cool guest, uh, Linda Bouchard. And Linda was a former flight attendant who kind of reinvented herself. And I, I, I love this because I feel like I reinvented myself when I got into aviation. You know, this was not, you know, as a mom for 20 years, stay-at-home mom, and then kind of took on this whole new career and interest and endeavor. And I'm excited to hear about Linda's story. I think we both are on the same page and encouraging others to, you know, go after those things and don't put limits on yourself. It's never too late to to explore something else. So welcome to the show, Linda. Well, Natalie, thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. And it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our talk. You reached out to me on email and I started doing a little research on you. And I know you've kind of got your hand in a lot of stuff because we were just talking about podcasts and you, you have a podcast as well. Totally different subject. That's really cool. So we both had a little, um, and kind of some similarities and we're talking about editing podcasts and, and things like that. So that's, we kind of know what we go through when we're, when we're doing that. <laughs> yes. Right. It's a labor of love. And mine is called literary latte, which is dedicated to um, my interviews with Southern authors. Where oh I take my it. gosh. Well, you know, I'm a Southerner. So <laughs> uh, yes. And I just love that. Um, so you might want to take a listen to it too. Yeah. And latte that kind of goes in with our cocktails. Cause sometimes I'm having a coffee versus a, you know, a spritzer <laughs> <laughs> or, or something in that coffee. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right. This podcast is all about aviation and aerospace and things like that, typically, but we're always interested to see how people's lives kind of intertwine with aviation and change and things like that. Let's talk about your career as a flight attendant. Right, right. Well, first of all, let me just say that to uh, an airline uh, analogy, that your mind is the control tower of everything you dream of accomplishing. And um, it just takes dedication and a mindset. My story uh, of reinvention uh, began in 1982 um, when I was hired by Piedmont Airlines, uh, one of the most beloved Southern airlines around. And uh, they were absorbed by US Airways after their uh, merger in the mid-90s, but I began my career in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I grew up actually in Vermont. So I was not, uh, my ear was not attuned to that Southern accent. (laughs) It was just, you know, like a foreign language to me. Yeah. But I have absolutely come to love the South and all the eccentricities and the accent and just their genteel way of life. I just adore the South and I still live here in the South. But, you know, being a flight attendant was just such a magical 
mystical world to me. Um, and I still have that feeling whenever I walk into an airport or onto an aircraft. It's like coming home. I'm in awe at the sight of an airplane taking off. And yeah. I never, I never get tired of being around airports or airline people. Yeah. And, you, yeah. and all of, of all my accomplishments, um, I have a master's degree in public relations. And I'll kind of backtrack to tell you how I got into flying. But of all my accomplishments, I consider being chosen to be part of an elite group of aviation professionals as my greatest honor. And when I was hired in the 80s, it was more difficult to become a flight attendant than it was to get into Harvard. Oh my goodness, wow. It was very selective, Natalie. Yeah. Um, so there's no other profession, as I'm sure you know as well, that offers as much freedom that puts you in contact with so many diverse people and cultures. Yeah. Um, although being a literary publicist becomes pretty close. Um, you, you know, um, reinventing my life was kind of like jumping off a cliff. I was building my wings on the way down. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the joys um, in life is uh, from, you know, those new experiences. So, you know, with the current events regarding COVID, I'm sure many flight attendants are finding themselves laid off or furloughed. And so if you're one of those people and are asking yourself, what do I do now? I have encouraging words for you. You can do this. It just takes a shift in thought and asking yourself where your strengths lie and where your passions are. Can we um, talk a little bit about um, what uh, being a flight attendant? Because honestly, we have not had an airline mm. flight attendant on the show yet. Oh, well, yes, yeah. you can ask me anything of and course. I actually in the 90s well when I got out of a lot of, I mean like nobody knows this except my family when I got out of um, high school I went to college um, for a year and then I stopped and I became a travel agent mm -hmm. for a year and I applied for a flight attendant position because I always love to travel I was actually offered a position and I can't remember the name of the airline but I was going to be based in Paducah, Kentucky, and the pay was awful, <laughs> and I could not accept it because I just couldn't live off the pay, but I still, you know, always had that desire uh, and interest in travel, and like you said, with the, well, every time you get on the airplane, I mean, every time I get on the airplane, whether it's a small plane or a commercial airplane or airliner, you would say, I, I still get excited about the trip and I love planning for the trip and packing for the trip. And I just get, you know, I can't sleep the night before, before a trip because I'm just excited about, you know, going on this new adventure to the airport and, and airplane. But yes. having said that, being a, yes. a flight attendant, I think is a lot harder and has a lot more responsibilities than people that are in the airplane, you know, on a ride really really know about. And we have heard so many things about people causing problems on airliners during flights. And, and we see all these videos of, you know, altercations and things like that, that we didn't used to see because of videos and technology and everything. But what, I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. what were some of your favorite things about being a flight attendant? What's, 
what are some of the hardest things about being a flight attendant? Wow. <laughs> well, yes, you, you, you covered a lot. And, you know, those are all very um, important points. First of all, you, uh, none of us, um, none of no flight attendant is in it for the, the monetary rewards. But there's so much richness in the lifestyle and the people that you meet. I mean, it put me in front of dignitaries and celebrities and heads of state. And it was a masterclass in life. I mean, it taught me how to be in the world. In fact, it was the best training ever for what I do now. Mm. Um, I just value that training because you can handle anything really once you're a flight attendant. Um, because let's face it, there are very few resources at 35,000 feet. So if something happens, if an emergency happens, we are very well trained. We are not just on there for service. If we were they would have replaced flight attendants with vending machines a long yeah, time yeah. a long time ago. So we are very well trained, and um, that training in poise, in um, CPR, in medical emergencies, and the knowledge of every aircraft. Unlike a pilot who typically flies with a, a major airline anyway, typically is um, checked out on one specific yes, right, airplane. Right. Yeah. We, as flight attendants, change from plane to plane to plane to different type of aircraft throughout any given day. So we have to know where all the emergency equipment is on a 767, on a 757, on a 737, on a 777. Yeah. We have to pass all these exams and know where that is immediately. And of course, the recurrent training is very intense. It's done once a year for flight attendants um, and uh, we go through emergency takeoffs, landings. Uh, we have to evacuate an aircraft, a smoke-filled aircraft in 90 seconds. I mean, you, my adrenaline was always racing. And during training, a lot of my class members did not make it mm. because, you know, you, you do have to act like there's a real crash and get these people out. You have to be ready. I mean, thank yeah. goodness it is not the norm, but you, we still have to be ready. Right. And an example of this, Natalie, was the miracle on the Hudson. Mm -hmm. And where um, Sully Sullenberger um, was the right captain at the right time, that crew co coordination and communication mm -hmm. came into play during that time. Typically, you won't see it, which is a good thing. You don't want to see that, mm -hmm. but it's there. And when an emergency happens, like uh, flight uh, 1549, US Air 1549 did, that communication all comes into play in everybody's training, the pilot's training, the flight attendants, it all gels. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful result where there were no loss of life and very little damage to the airplane was like a classic example. I'm sure they're using yeah. that in training yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Right. Um, and it's just like, you know, emergency maneuvers that pilots have to kind of practice and keep fresh. 
flight attendants have to do the same thing. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, we want to keep it uh, front and center and be ready mm-hmm. for anything uh, yeah. that might happen. Yeah. So why did you decide to um, leave the airlines? Well, um, I have a master's degree in public relations from Boston University. I had I was hired right off uh, right out of college with a CBS affiliate in Boston as a publicity assistant. You know, my office overlooked Logan Airport. (laughs) And and for somebody with Wanderlust, that was bliss. So, you know, I was sitting in my office watching all these airplanes come and go all day long. And this was in the early 80s when travel still held glamour and you dressed up to fly but and I hadn't done a lot of traveling in life and so as I watched all these airplanes coming and going I fantasized about where they were going and coming in from and I decided I wanted to be a flight attendant so my reinvention began I I applied to every single airline and was hired by a southern regional airline at the time called Piedmont Airlines Mm -hmm who, as I um, alluded to, um, became U.S. Airways. That brought me south, and I just love the south. It's just such a special place and with so many stories. But I I never looked back from that and never regretted it because I think it was the most soulful time. I was doing exactly what I love to do. I felt so at home on an airplane, um, met tremendous, tremendous people, uh, established friendships, to, uh, which I I have to this day. Yeah. You know, like any other, like the army or the military, airline crew are family. They become family when you travel together for days at a time. Yeah. And you know about each other's lives. And I value those friendships to this day. As I said, the training was was just invaluable. Yeah. I'm um, sure, you know, in aviation, I feel like it's such a small world. And I'm sure, like, the airlines, you know, everyone in aviation kind of gets to know each other. And, you know, because we all kind of go to the same air shows. And um, especially females, because there just aren't that many of us. So we all kind of know each other. And I'm sure it's very similar with the airlines and um, just that family kind of feeling and you know what it's like to travel and be gone from home a lot you know you know you're all trying to enjoy your time away from home and you're also missing home sometimes I'm sure so you have those people that know exactly what you're feeling yes indeed yes I mean it takes a great deal of inner strength I think to Mm -hmm. be a member of a flight crew because our lives are kind of the flip side of nine to five Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very mysterious to somebody looking at it from the outside they don't know what goes on you know with our lives what we do after we leave the airplane there's a lot of mystique to it but you have to be really resilient and self-sufficient as a flight attendant or any crew member really because you spend a lot of time alone Mm -hmm. a lot of time away from loved ones and so you have to be rather self-reliant and self-sufficient and a and a strong person because you are dealing uh, during any given day with a variety of 
problems that you you that are unexpected passenger wise crew member wise you don't always know your fellow crew members so you have to adjust and be flexible yeah and um you know there are people on your aircraft that have never flown before you have um uh, back in the day federal air marshals that were on board mm-hmm. You had special assist people that needed care, fugitives that were being escorted back by, you know, um, uh, police officers Mm -hmm. or or, or sheriffs on board. So there's a special protocol for that. Mm -hmm. So you're continually shifting what you need to do and the demands are ever changing. Yeah, I bet. And yet unaccompanied minors and and you always got to stay positive for everyone else that's around you because <laughs> you're setting the tone for how how things are going to go. Yes, indeed. That's an important point mm-hmm. is the passengers take their their cues mm-hmm. from the flight attendants. In fact, I can remember flying into London and we were going through wind shear and it was a very severe uh, wind shear and a uh, hard landing. Mm-hmm. And you know, we had to be, I was in the front working first class, so I was sitting there where the passengers could see me. And although, yes, flight attendants get afraid too. Yeah, <laughs> we're, right. we're, we're human. I had to keep that stoic face like, you know, we've got this. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is no plane. big deal. We do this all the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. This plane was made for this storm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Right. But, you know, having the confidence in the pilots is, I always had confidence in the pilots. Um, they're, they're just amazing at what they do. Yeah. And um, it's like a blind faith because you really don't know them every time. You know, you have to trust the airlines, put them there because they're, they're capable. And, you know, you really can't spend your try- time trying to vet these pilots that you don't know. You've got to move on. <laughs> Right. Although back in the day, we used to spend a little bit more time getting to know each other before in the briefing, before flying, um, and also in the cockpit when we had long over either coast to coast or overseas flights, we'd spend some time talking with them in the cockpit. But that has totally gone away now after 9-11, where the cockpit is secure even for flight attendants. Um, So that camaraderie is rather lost now during the flight. But yeah, there used to be um, a lot of, you know, communication before, during and after flights with the flight deck, which is always fun. Yeah. And now you're very separated on on the airplanes, the flight attendants and the pilots. It's I bet I would would think for the pilots, it's pretty isolating. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't, I never, you know, to me anyway, my goal was never, I I never really aspired to be a pilot because Mm -hmm. I like the social aspect of uh, being in the cabin with the passengers. And I think we really have the most fun and I think we work the hardest too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that you do. I have a a huge respect for, for flight attendants and I know managing people is hard and you got all kinds of people happy people unhappy people you know um calm people nervous people i mean it's just it, it would be very hard to um i'm sure it's kind of like running a classroom or something it would be very hard 
to manage all those people and, and keep everybody comfortable and happy because everybody has different needs and different wants. And, you know, you're just constantly trying to, to adjust. Yes. There's a lot of psychology involved. And um, yes, as I said, you have to adjust to all these demands. Right. I mean, it changes constantly. I mean, you're one minute you're wearing your, your nanny cap by, uh, yeah. you know, uh, with these unaccompanied minors and sitting down and playing with them or coloring with them and keeping an eye on them or you're um, a psychologist trying to calm down somebody that's never flown before. Yeah. Um, uh, you're trying to diff and diffuse situations with rowdy passengers. Mm -hmm. It's just never boring. Yeah. So tell me about, um, I think, 9-11. How did that affect uh, your career? And, and what was this transition? When did you decide to transition out of uh, but, you know, a, different, a different career path for you? Well, 9-11 was really the catalyst for my change. I was already thinking about it. In fact, I had started working a little bit with authors because I met so many of them on on my flights and they would talk to me about how they weren't represented in the South by their publishing companies. And with my master's degree, um, I thought, wow, this could be a real void that I could fill. So I started really working with a few publishers during my days off. So I kind of was laying that groundwork. But 9-11 really focused me because I lost friends and mm. colleagues and I knew some of the flight attendants that were went into those towers wow. and it really made me reassess my life you know course, it, it heightened yeah. my my awareness that time is fleeting and precious mm. and that there are no ordinary hours I did not want to waste more time time does fly but you're the pilot. <laughs> right. You're in charge of your time. I it was well, what really, you, when you say you yeah. didn't want to waste more time. What did you feel like you were wasting your time? Were you just kind of ready to move on and do something else at that point? And you're kind of like, why am I just waiting here? Like I need to get moving. Or what does that mean? Well, there was a lot of downtime when you're flying. And okay. that was always where I thought, oh, I could be doing something else. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're working on board mm -hmm. an aircraft, it's it's busy, it's involved, you're engaged. But mm -hmm. then you you might have an hour, maybe two between flights. And to me, there was a lot of wasted mm -hmm. hours. Yeah. And the more I flew, I flew for um, 20 years. The more I flew, the more it became, it wore on me. I'm like, wow, mm -hmm. these... I could be doing something right now. I mean, I always had a book with me. I would always be reading. Uh, I just wanted to fill those hours yeah. with some, something more productive. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I started exploring that and, and pitching myself to publishers saying, hey, you know what? Um, why don't I become your author concierge here in the Southern markets? Mm -hmm. And so I started slowly and then jump started it after 9-11. Wow, that must have been, um, I would think for a lot of flight attendants that that uh, those events of that day probably really did, and pilots too, probably really shifted their perspective and, and made them really, you know, reassess what, what they're doing, if this is what's something they wanted to continue doing, or 
or not because it was just awful, you know, and it's just, yeah, it was just awful. It's hard to, hard to put into words. Yes. Were you interested in authors and like you just had this interest from day one and books and things like that? You're talking about reading. So tell me a little bit more about that. Well, my undergrad, I've always been a writer. I was editor of my college newspapers and I've always been a writer. It's my first love. And, uh, you know, with um, my uh, undergraduate degree was in literature and I minored in journalism. And then, of course, I got my master's degree in public relations. Mm-hmm. And so um, I wanted to put that to use now. It, it was kind of the light bulb moment when I was talking to all these authors and there was a common thread through every conversation that their publishers weren't sending them south. Mm. They weren't listening to them. And I thought, wow, here's something, here's a void that I can fill. And so I I envisioned my success practice, uh, what I call mental archery. (laughs) I kept that vision in mind. And I retrofitted my life to it. And believe me, it was scary. It was very scary to let go of that lifestyle of flying. But I didn't want to, I wanted to form my own business because I, I wanted that freedom still. And I didn't want to work for anyone else. Don't put me in a cubicle. That's just not me. So this is kind of like flying, but you know, it's very similar skill sets Mm -hmm. as a flight attendant, only I'm more tethered to the uh, ground now. Right. Right. How did aviation I think you had mentioned at one point in our conversations before that aviation really helped prepare you and your experiences in aviation prepare you for what you're doing now. Because I think, you know, being a pilot for me has changed me in many, many ways and helped me to to communicate more effectively and to, to uh, empathize with other people that are learning new things and, you know, with people that are taking on new challenges and as we say, reinventing ourselves, you know, I feel really drawn to like midlife career changers and, and I know their challenges and how aviation has helped me relate more to things um, before. So tell me about how you think that made you a great publicist or, you know, what, how did that help you? Well, it was a wonderful training ground for what I do now. You know, quite frequently in my uh, pre-flight announcements, I would always say your safest exit could be behind you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true in life. You have to stay focused on what's ahead because that's where life is and the opportunities are ahead of you. So we always leave something behind as we move forward. Any loss, like even as, if it's of your own Volition demands choices. So I had a lot of choices to make, but the training it really focused me on time management because you have a limited amount of time to serve a whole cabin of people. And I am hyper vigilant of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even have to look at a watch and I can, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I have this inner GPS kind of yeah. thing going with, with time and I'm a fanatic about being on time because you know at the airline you know you have to be there an hour before the flight and yeah briefing and everything so if you're on time you're late (laughs) yeah Um, right oh my gosh that's so funny right so I'm very 
um, conscious of the time I spend with my clients and I'm conscious of the time because it's a collaborative effort when a client works with me. They're doing, it's kind of like we're running tandem together because they have to do a lot of work as well. So I, I am very vigilant about how they spend their time and I'm yeah. demanding of that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the social aspect, setting up book signings and creating events, flight attendants are primo at throwing events. I mean, I bet yeah. I, I threw some of the best parties. I went to some of the best parties by flight attendants. I mean, yeah. that was no brainer. That's easy for me. And also connecting with people I don't know. I can call up people. I can meet people. It's that ease of being in the world that the translated over to my job as a literary publicist and has just, um, you know, just dovetailed beautifully with what I do now. As a little side note, I can tell you when I, I am the one that typically books all the guests on the podcast. And you can tell a whole lot about someone when you're communicating with them and trying to find a date, you know, and trying to uh, find a, an agreeable time. And you're communicating via email or text very often. And I can tell by those communications, kind of what this person's personality is going to be like and what, how they, how they behave in, in life and what things are. And, and this is no criticism to you whatsoever, but I could tell you were very um, organized, <laughs> very specific about, you know, you wanted to know specifically, you know, what was going to be required, what exact time what you know everything was so planned and there's so many people that aren't like that there it's kind of like yeah sure you know text me the you know the, the day of and remind me we'll make it work whatever <laughs> it's it's fascinating though because you can really figure out a lot about someone without actually meeting them through these conversations right I'm sure you can right but you know because I'm also a podcast host yeah. I, those those are things that are important that I relay to my clients when they're on a podcast. So I always try to get that information. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah, I think it's great. And like I said, don't I take it personally. That. I'm not criticizing at all. And, and hopefully, you know, you don't, you're not feeling self-conscious about it. Cause I think, I think it's great. And I think it's interesting how different people operate. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, those passengers, everyone's different. Yes. Right. <laughs> Right. Your aviation training and, and um, really helped you be successful. And I believe probably in, in similarities when you're a pilot and you're, you know, it's such a small community, you do interact with a lot of different people and you can instantly strike up a conversation. That's not easy for a lot of people. And it is can be learned because I would consider myself very introverted. But when I get around aviation people and I talk aviation, I know how to carry a conversation. If you put me in a room with some people that are into, I don't know, race cars or something, I don't know anything about, I would want to go into the corner and hide under a table. <laughs> but I know how to interact with them, even if it's not something that I'm particularly interested in. That taught me that. Yes, 
And, you know, we have to be observers in life. And I think um, you probably are like this too. I'm naturally an observer. And if you just observe people, you can find a commonality to talk mm -hmm. about or relate to, or just asking questions, making it about them. Right. It's, it's just being curious. I think curiosity is very essential in all aspects of life and just and being curious about somebody else shows that you care so once you stopped flying as a flight attendant and you began this new journey I mean what was that you were kind of taking small steps it sounded like along the way I think we call those little things today side hustles that people start <laughs> doing <laughs> um, and I know I mean for me and like I'd mentioned before, I'm really drawn to people that are kind of middle-aged and, and switching gears. And I think that has its own challenges, you know, along your path, because you were kind of a career changer as well. What made that transition challenging or what made it easier for you? Well, it was scary. I mean, it was scary. And I think courage is more important than knowledge because it takes great courage to change course in life and redirect and um, so many people live safe lives and you know of conformity uh, which may appear to give you peace of mind but in you know I think in reality it's more damaging to the adventurous spirit you know a secure future can be boring <laughs> no. but I've never been uh, one to avoid challenges. I'm always open to reinvention and to failure. I'm not afraid to fail because that's where the lessons are in life. Mm -hmm. All of our great lessons are learned by failure, through failure. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think the joy is having an endless changing horizon. Mm -hmm. And a new, yeah. and different, new and different sun every single day. Yeah, um, but it was very hard to leave that lifestyle of freedom, and you know, a, aviation lifestyle is very, very unique, as you well know. And so, but I knew that it was time, so yeah. I just dove in and learned everything I could, because even though I had tr formal training in broadcasting, public relations, journalism, it was still hard. And I had to, I had been out of it for so many years. I had to relearn a lot of things and technology changed too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had to learn everything about the computer age and all this technology. It was a steep learning curve mm -hmm. for me, but com my confidence was built every single day by those challenges, uh, yeah. overcoming those hurdles and putting it into practice. It, it went from theory to reality. And I did, I built slowly. I started in my own backyard. It was kind of like dropping a pebble into a pond and watching the ripples grow outward. Mm -hmm. I started small and I started with lo some local authors. I continued to make media connections so I could plug them into interviews. Every day was a growing process and it was energizing for me. Very, very 
creative. As a result, I have worked alongside some of the most uh, prolific and well-recognized authors on the planet. That never would have happened if I had not stepped out of my comfort zone. Yes. Two of the things that you just said that really spoke to me were the failure part, not being afraid of, of failure. I think, you know, don't worry about what, what other people say or what other people think. If there's something that you want, you have to stay focused on that. And, you know, some people are so afraid of failing a check ride. And, um, you know, when you're a pilot, my dad was a professional pilot. And when I first got into it, I, I mean, I still have anxiety with check rides. I, I think it'd be weird if you didn't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're put on the spot and there's a lot of pressure and you really want this thing at the end of this. So you're, you really, it's, it's a lot of pressure. You know, my dad was like, look, if this is the life you want, you need to get used to check rides because that's part of it. That's just, if you want that, you know, pot of gold, you have to, you have to do these things and you have to put yourself out there and you have to, to face these fears. I mean, this is really what facing the fear is. You could fail. A check ride. I failed a check ride. I failed my instrument check ride. A lot of people don't know that, but I learned something from that that I wouldn't have learned if I had not failed. And it could save my life one day. It was a something about a VOR approach that I will never forget that thing. Yes. You know, and yes. if I hadn't failed, I, I could have maybe passed it and maybe that particular situation wouldn't come up in real life. But what if it did? Right. And But then you you learned a great lesson, like you said, and you'll never forget it. And it is, it's about pushing past your fear Mm -hmm. because, you know, a new life, a new lesson is waiting on the other side of that fear. Yeah. And And it was embarrassing. Everyone could do it. I walked back into that flight school that that I failed it and, and it was very embarrassing and I could have ran off and totally given up and to come back and do it again. That was so hard and everybody's there they know what happened and it's so much pressure and I'm just thinking look these people have nothing to do with my life my life is still the same so what I failed the check ride I'm going to do it again what they think about me does not change anything in my life you know that's right you have to not listen to the naysayers because they are out there and they Uh, will never go away. There will always be people who want to squash your dream or squash your passion or -hmm. discourage you. And you know what? It takes courage to put yourself out there, to be different and to be open to the unknown. So even with the example of your check ride, that unknown, it takes courage. And I think that um, uh, it's far more important how you end than how you start right I mean I guess I could have at the end of that I could have been like totally forgot what I felt focused more on oh my gosh I failed now what was he trying to teach me you know and 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 could have just totally forgotten it just decided okay well maybe I can't be a pilot that could have been it no you gotta you gotta push on and keep your keep your eye on the prize at the at the end of it and go through all this stuff go through all of it that's why it's so hard you do. And you know what? You have to act as if yes. you were already a success. And yeah. one of the greatest examples of this, I think, is a sports analogy. But mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali was a master at this. He 
always told himself and everybody else that he was the greatest. Mm -hmm. Guess what? He was. He mm -hmm. became that. Mm -hmm. And did he start out like that? No. Right. But he acted as if he were already there. Mm -hmm. And it's important to envision yourself successful. Mm -hmm. And I did that when I started my business. You know, it's just what I call mental archery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keeping that goal in front of you. Mm -hmm. Don't let anybody get you distracted from it. Right. And people will try to whether intentionally or not, you know, it, it happens. It's up to you to stay focused on it. Absolutely. Yes. You have to take ownership of your craft. Wow. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners today? And I think you said some wonderful things and I love the, the similarities and some of the analogies that we had with, with your experience as a flight attendant on an airliner traveling you know, people that travel are generally very adventurous and a lot more on the risk-taking side, but it's things are still scary for us too. Absolutely. But, you know, you can't let that stop you. I so appreciate this opportunity. And just let me um, share with the, your wonderful listeners that if there's one takeaway in all this, it's important to start before you're ready. You don't have to be great to start, mm -hmm. but you have to start to be great right you have a lot of great quotes things that I, I some of my favorite quotes and things that you say are it's it's, it's crazy so I'm like oh I know that quote oh I know that quote <laughs> those are some of my favorites it's kind of like when people think like a couple is getting ready to have children well we're not ready we're not ready. well you're never really going to be ready you just have to go for it you know <laughs> right there's never a good time for that right. Yeah, you just have to jump in. <laughs> Gosh, this has been such a joy. Thank you for the ride. <laughs> it has been. It's been wonderful. I'm glad uh, we had to reschedule our date a few times, but I'm glad that it worked out. And apologies to you on, on those cancellations I had to make. Thank you so much for coming on. I love everything that you had to say. And I wish you all the best as a publicist and in all your fun adventure travels if we ever get to really get back to traveling which hopefully we will back to normal at some point I'm hoping who knows what normal is <laughs> right it keeps redefining itself I appreciate you I hope you have a great night thank you to everyone listening tonight please make sure you subscribe to the podcast you can learn a little bit more about Linda where oh my gosh they can go to booking authors inc with a k Com. Thank you very much, Linda. Have a great night. Thank you, Natalie. It's been my pleasure.